chapter 9. We've been working our way um, through Luke over the last several months. Um, if you haven't been with us before or you haven't been with us very long, um, our, our tendency here is about 99% of the time we're preaching through a book of the Bible. Um, just chapter by chapter, working our way through however long it takes. So um, earlier this year we, we worked through Ecclesiastes. We try to alternate an Old Testament with a New Testament book. So this morning will be in Luke 9, beginning in verse 37. And as you're turning or typing in order to get there, I just kind of want to start this morning with, with this question. Um, have you ever had a mountaintop spiritual experience? Right, Not just that you've been on top of a mountain, but have you ever had a mountaintop spiritual experience? Um, this is um, sometimes one of the, the benefits and maybe the critique of, of student ministry, right, is that often events, whether it was a disciple now or camp or retreat, would tend to, to lend itself to, to mountaintop experiences, right, where people would come back proclaiming Jesus and feeling on top of the world, and there would be a mix of, of emotion and fervor that hadn't been there before. Um, maybe you've had it as an adult, right? Um, you've done a walk to Emmaus or a retreat, right? Or, or maybe you've just had a season where the Lord was particularly near and dear to you. And it felt different, and it seemed different, and you responded different, right? Have you had that sort of, that sort of experience? Typically, when we think of mountaintop experiences, um, they, they've happened in a place of either solitude, right, where you were alone with the Lord, or it was in a, a, a time where everything you were doing, right, was just about Jesus. That's why mountaintop experiences are literally so common at camp, right? Because a, a kid would get up um, and they have a quiet time. And then they go and maybe they have a group worship time or a Bible study. And then they have breakout sessions. And then they have large group sessions. And everything you're doing is, is either centered around or pointing you to Jesus for multiple, multiple days in a row. And where normally your rhythm would not be that much Jesus, you have this opportunity to get away from the distractions of the world, and you have all of this time with the Lord, and His Spirit works and moves because He's alive, and because His Word is alive, and because His people are good. And you come back, right, with fervor and enthusiasm and excitement. This morning, we're, we're on the heels of a, of a literal mountaintop experience. The reason... We even call that a mountaintop experience. It's because of the passage that Danny preached for us last week um, on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter and James and John get to see the veil pulled back for just a moment and see the glory of God in Jesus, right? To be assured that He is who He is claiming to be, who He will continue to reveal Himself to be, so they got to see it. And they got to hear God affirm that He is pleased in His beloved Son. Right? And so there's a reason that Peter's like, let's stay here because this is awesome. Right? Like, like, could this be real life? Could this be normal life? Right? And yet that's not what we're going to see happen. So let's, let's see as they come off the mountain, beginning in verse 37. On the next day, so this is the next day from Transfiguration. When they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man came from the crowd, cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. 
and convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about the saying. And an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you, at least among you all, is the one who is great. And John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. All right, so we have really kind of three or four vignettes here, right? These like short stories that seem maybe immediately unrelated. We're going to look in a moment and see how they're actually all connected. But, but the initial thing is, is they've had this tremendous experience. And as they're coming off the mountain, they're immediately back into the fray. Right? The real world just kind of hits them in the face. And so maybe you've even had this experience this week, right? Um, you've got little kids at home, and you've been trying to um, squeak out just a few minutes with Jesus in the morning, um, and kids start fighting, right? Uh, maybe on your way to church this morning, this was your experience, right? You're trying to prepare your heart to come and, and make much of Jesus, and you've been in a squabble with someone else in the vehicle, or multiple someone else's in the vehicle. Or maybe you're thinking, yeah, it wasn't this morning, but it'll probably be on the way home, right? Like, that we, we, we have this often where we are like, okay, Jesus, we're so glad to be where we're at. Thank you for what you've revealed to me. Let's go into my day, and our day just punches us right in the face, right? I'm like, well, that didn't last long, right? That didn't last long. So, what, what we see here is, is the disciples, if you remember in the early part of chapter 9, right, they have been commissioned and sent out by Jesus. Sent out to cast out demons, and to heal, to preach the gospel. And we almost have a scene here of, of them being a little too big for the britches, right? right you think about, um, I, I coached with uh, Nick this year, a baseball team, right? Little boys. Little boys, most of them don't have a confidence issue, right? And so they would, they're learning how to play the game. They, they finally do something right, right, because it they, they finally clicks and they're understanding how to throw the ball or how to hit the ball, and then they do it once, right? And they're like, so am I going to the major leagues? Right? I mean, it's just like, I, I mean, I must be awesome now because I did it, right? And so you have the disciples. They've gone out. They've had their first kind of missionary journey. They've, they've been... Um, empowered by Jesus to cast out demons and to heal. And now here they're coming off the mountain and the nine who weren't on the mountain are like, 
standing there like, Jesus, uh, crowd's getting a little upset. This dude's been begging us to help, and we haven't been able to do what we were supposed to be able to do. Right? Like You can imagine um, the, the awkwardness, the embarrassment, the tension, the struggle that's going on here. And so what we see with these, these seemingly unrelated vignettes is ultimately kind of four examples of the disciples failing this morning. Right? That, that Luke is highlighting some of their failure. We see in the first vignette that they're unable to cast out a demon, but he immediately ties it right um, to the next vignette, right? In ver- the end of verse 43. But while they were all marveling at everything he, meaning Jesus, was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, so he immediately follows the healing vignette, right, with this story of, of, of telling them, hey, I'm going to suffer. And they fail to understand. We have a failure to cast out demons and then a failure to understand the significance of what Jesus is saying, which then leads into an argument, right, about who's going to be the greatest, right? Um, when you're following Jesus, not the best argument to have, right? And then that leads immediately into verses 49 and 50 with an example of them not listening to Jesus saying, right, bring the children to me, let those who are far from me come, and they immediately go to exclude someone. Right? They, they don't listen, and they don't obey what Jesus is saying. And so we just have back-to-back-to-back-to-back stories of the disciples failing after the chapter started with them going out and really obeying and, and, and doing some tremendous things that the Lord has asked them. All right, let's look at the first. Verses 37 through 43, we have Jesus healing this young man. Now, I want you to imagine this scene now. It's the only son, this man. He's been begging the disciples, We've heard what you can do. Will you heal him? They're unable to. And when Jesus steps into the scene, right, it's, it says like he, he convulsed and he, and he foams and he's, he's being thrown down. Right? Matthew and Mark. Um, also recount this scene. And, and one of them says it's happened since he was a child. Right? That you can imagine the pain and the despair in this parent going, my kid's not okay. Like, I, I'm fearful for his very life. Like, what are we going to do? Please, I'm begging you, help me. I think it's important for us this morning to be reminded that our enemy, his desire and goal is to still kill and destroy. Right, that it is the very antithesis of what Jesus is doing in the kingdom of God as He is reversing the curse, as He's bringing hope and, and salvation and healing and resurrection. Right? He's bringing these things that there's an enemy that's looking to destroy, to bring fear and doubt. In this scene, you can imagine that people are fearful. Like they're looking and, and seeing what's happening, and they're backing up. But they want to see what Jesus does, but this is also a terrible situation. And the disciples unable to do it. Is it out of fear? Right? Like this one was, was, was too different? Was it out of pride of we actually think we can do it? And so now they're finding that they're, they're not as independent as they believe themselves to be? Was it a lack of dependence on the Lord in prayer? For whatever reason, it's not happening. And Jesus has this odd saying here when they beg him to heal. And he answers, O faithless, in verse 41, and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? 
he's, he's referencing Deuteronomy 32, where those, the people of Israel, right, as they come out, and God has literally rescued them and provided for them and, and protected them and done all of these things for them, but they right, don't end up in the promised land that first generation because they mumbled, they didn't trust. They grumbled and they fought back, right? Like they didn't always want the things of the Lord. And they would say, well, it would actually be better for us if we went back and were slaves in Egypt. Like they're rejecting what God has done for them. And He's telling them, like, you're seeing me here. You've seen what I've been able to do. You're seeing what I'm claiming. And yet you're still, right, going astray. You're not trusting. You're not depending. You're not believing that I'm going to minister in this way. You are walking away, and I'm not going to be here in physical form for long, right? And while he was coming, the child, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. Um, what's interesting here is, is that the demon, is, it sounds like the kid has epilepsy or some, some sort of seizure um, situation, but that the demon is um, utilizing it is hiding behind it, and is also um, exploiting it. Right? As we think about even in our modern world, where, where sometimes some of us are a little um, slow to want to talk about demonic, right? that we can see the demonic look like things we see um, in society. Right? We, it can look like mental illness, and it hides behind and exploits mental illness. And so there is mental illness due to the fallenness of the, of the world, of the brokenness of the world because the world's been cursed. And then there's demons going, hey, we're going to mimic this. Maybe you'll just try to medicate us and we won't go anywhere. Right? We see those sort of things happen where we're not sure, is it science? Is it spiritual? Is it both? And in this situation, it seems like that it's, that it's both happening. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit in verse 42, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And, and I love verse 43. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. This idea of majesty here is the same from the glory of the transfiguration. What he's saying is they're seeing that same glory and power that Peter and James and John saw on the mountain. They're seeing it displayed here as God is bringing healing to bear in this specific boy's life. So they're seeing that same glory. The disciples unable to heal here. Let's go on to the second, where they fail to understand. Jesus or Luke ties them together here. So he says, "Listen, all were astonished at the majesty of God." So there's this moment where they're, they're glory and they've seen it. There's a claim. The crowds are still excited about Jesus, but while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus says to his disciples, "He's like, hey, I, I know you hear the adulation." I know you hear the joy and the celebration. I know you've, um, some of you have just seen me um, unveiled. And you're really enthused about the kingdom of God. And you're probably already thinking about what your role is going to be in the kingdom. Um, reminder, a reminder here. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. That the one who just healed when you weren't able to, the one who just had unveiled face in front of you and you saw glory emanating from him, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the one that's come to rescue us, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Right? Suffering is coming. So he's, con he's contrasting 
this scene with the crowd is not going to be the way it stays. Suffering and struggle, death are coming. Pain coming. Now listen, for those of us who have, who have been around the church um, even a little bit, we know that suffering is a component that's talked about regarding Jesus all the time. It's normal for us. Right? That He was going to be the suffering servant who died on our behalf. Who beat sin and Satan and death and, and rose again. Who ascended to the right hand of the Father. We get that. But you have to understand for these guys, this is not what they anticipated from the Messiah. This is, although Jesus has told them this already, right? They're going, but what? Like, do you, did you just see what you did? Like, the kingdom is coming. How could we do anything against you? What do you mean? Like, they're struggling to wrap their heads around the fact that the Messiah, the chosen one of God, would need to suffer at all. Like, what would that look like? How would any, I mean, the, Jesus, the crowds love you. Right? Like, they can't fathom what's coming down the way. So it says they're afraid to ask him about it. They didn't understand it, and they're wrestling with it. He's showing them his glory on the mountain, in the healings, in the resurrections, in the casting out, like in all of these things. Why? So they will know that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah but so that they will also lean in and learn and trust that this plan is the plan, that He must suffer. Like They're going to have difficulty with it, and so He is showing them He is the Son of Man, and He also must suffer. We see the, the angst and the struggle here as they, they, they fail to understand. We go to our third failure. An argument rose among them as to which of them was the greatest. And what's interesting is it, it seems as though maybe they weren't having it right around Jesus, that they maybe even knew that wasn't wise. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, right, took a child and put him by his side. So he's going, right, this is Luke 2.35, that he would know the intents and the thoughts of the heart of man. That they're asking these questions, imagining their role in the kingdom as Rome is overthrown and, and when God brings all of these things to bear. So he grabs a kid. He brings this kid to his side. Now listen, in, in our society, we value children. Right? Like, we believe kids kind of have some intrinsic, inherent value. That was not the case in every culture, in every society, in every era of history. With high um, childhood mortality, right? With the need for a lot of people to work and labor. Like, if you're not bringing something to the table, and if there's a chance you're not going to live, right? There's just... We'll see if you get there, right? And it wasn't always cold and callous, but there was not the same sort of warmth towards children that we might imagine. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's bringing this kid in. Like they would even say that if you, um, that it's, you're wasting your time to, to teach the Torah to someone who's not yet 12, right? Like let's see him get to a useful age. So he brings this kid up and he looks at them and he says, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. What he's, what he's saying here is, like, this kid is insignificant. He's powerless. Right? He has no power in society. He has nothing of value. He's unable to bring anything to the table. Like, he is needy. Um, 
dependent. And if you would receive him, you receive him. Now Jesus is not here knocking them for desiring to be great. But he's saying the desire to be great has to be tempered by who believes you're great. Is it the world or is it me? These are going to look different. The world's going to say that we're great by our status, by our power, by our influence, by those who like us and want to be around us, by those who elevate us. That's how we have great, right? And so whether we're great or not, as long as we're perceived as great, we're quite okay with that. Right? We know in our hearts that maybe we're not as great, but if someone thinks we are, we'll take it. And Jesus is saying the world can think you're great, but greatness in the kingdom looks different. So in this day and age, right, you would serve, bring in, care for a peer or someone that's more elevated in status than you. But you would never turn to someone lower than you. They can't do anything for you. They don't help your reputation. They can't repay the favor. They can't do anything for you. And so Jesus is flipping this on its head and saying, you want to be great in the kingdom, then you turn and serve those who can do nothing for you to gain you nothing, to increase you in no way. That's what greatness in the kingdom looks like. So he's saying, do you want the world to herald your greatness, or do you want me to see you as great? Like, Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to pursue? Who are you going to go after? You want to be great in the kingdom, it's through service and care for those who have nothing to add to you. Not that the crowds are applauding, but that Jesus sees us. Right? They're, they're struggling with this, and we see their, then their final failure. So he's just told them, who, the one who's least among you is the one who is great. And John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him, because he does not follow with us. Like you can almost imagine that John is coming um, proud, going, man, Jesus, we did good today. This guy's out there, and he's trying to do what we do. And we stopped it. Remember, the disciples here are probably somewhat jealous. What were they just unable to do? Cast out a demon. And if this guy who's not even following along with them is able to do this in Jesus' name, then what does that say about them? Maybe they're not so special, right? Like, what they're desiring to do here is to exclude others so that their status as being connected with Jesus elevates them. Right? And Jesus had just said, no, 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 we receive people. We receive them. And here they are looking to exclude, to remove. I also want you in this vignette to remember how ugly the scene is with the, the boy. The work Jesus is doing is good. It is necessary. The, the world is broken and it's cursed and He is bringing hope and restoration to bear. He has sent these twelve out on a mission to do the same thing because there is a desperate need for healthy, whole kingdom ministry. And here someone is out there and they're successfully casting out demons, which is good for the individual who has this happen to them. And the disciples are like, we stopped it. I'm not going to let that happen. Not on our watch. And Jesus goes, don't stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. He's telling them, listen, the, the path of ministry is going to be larger than you think it is. 
It's going to involve more people than you think it is. And so in this, these, these four quick stories, Luke is just kind of highlighting, hey, there was some difficulty. right? Like The disciples still have some things to grow in and to learn and to know if they're going to be faithful servants of the king. If they're going to, if they're going to be useful here to Jesus. Because the plan is for a suffering servant, a suffering Messiah to come and to be killed, to be buried, and to rise again. And then to leave. And to leave the task of the kingdom moving forward for the church to be planted and birthed until Jesus comes back into the hands of followers like this. And like ours. And you can imagine them going, Jesus, this is the plan? Like, can't you ride in on a white horse and just take care of it? Like, end this thing? Like, the plans that you're going to suffer and die, the plans that you're going to be mocked and humiliated, the plans that you're going to leave us and then leave us with the task? Are you kidding? Like, this is the plan? And it is. The plan is that Jesus would live the life we were meant to live. Die the death that we deserve to bring about the exodus, right? That Danny referred to last week, that he is taking us from our enemies of sin and Satan and death, bringing victory to bear, returning to the right hand of the Father, empowering these disciples in the church with the Spirit of God to equip us until either we have our faith made sight as we enter heaven via death, or Jesus splits the sky we are moving toward the mission of God, right? And we look at the failures here of the disciples, right, to remind ourselves we are not perfect in this, that we are dependent upon the Lord, and this was His plan to move the church forward for thousands of years, for His glory and for the good of those who would see the kingdom of God come to bear in their lives and in their families and in their communities. And so... Why don't we stay at camp or a retreat or in the mountaintop experience? Why didn't they stay on the Mount of Transfiguration? Because there is work to be done. There is ministry to be done. We live in this weird in-between. But what Jesus shows you is that He did not come and throw up His hands and say, I thought I was done. Like, what are you all doing? i got to come back. He is present and compassionate. He sees them, and we see that He is necessary, that the disciples need Him, that we need Him, and that there is ministry to be done. In church, there is ministry to be done today. As you look around our community, as you look around our state, as you look around the world, our country, there is brokenness and pain and fear. There's turmoil, and there's, there's difficulty, and there's addiction, and there are strongholds that need to be broken and addictions that need to be broken and things that need to be cast out and hope that needs to be shared and good news that you don't have to accomplish it. Jesus has done it. Right? That the kingdom is still coming to bear in our world and in our lives. And so we will see Jesus and the disciples get away often for prayer, to be refreshed, to be with the Lord, but they are always coming back into the fray into ministry. What we see is that the time away, right, isn't where Jesus says, hey, we're here until people force us out of here. We come here 
Because the goal should be out there, impacting and bringing hope and joy and life in all of these situations. There are real needs. And Jesus is compassionate. And it's for everyone. For everyone. It's for all types. As we see this in the last two vignettes here, right? That he says, bring those who are lesser than you. Bring them in. They deserve it as well. And so as we think about our world, those who bring no social standing to you, who aren't able to return favors. Listen, this is sometimes weird, but there's sometimes even in church culture and ministry culture a desire to not work with kids, to to be with adults. And, And there's a lot of reasons for that, but one of the reasons can be kids can't do anything for you. Like, the best thing they're going to do is maybe give you a high, a sticky high five and say, good job, right? But they don't actually, they don't, they're not, the attaboys maybe don't land the same. When you're ministering to adults, right, and you begin to, to see impact, you begin to see influence, and you begin to see people who can do something for you, right? And you can begin to want to have that. And so Jesus is saying, are you willing to minister to those who can't do that for you? Those who have nothing to bring to the table, they have no power, no influence, and no money, and no favors, right? You see them, you love them, you call them to Jesus without showing partiality. That the real needs are being met. So we desire to do that in Pampa. Across all ethnicities, all social groups, all social standings, all financial groups, all education staff, like across the board, we want to minister to our community. And would we be reminded in this passage that ministry is what we're called to, but Jesus is the goal. More of Jesus. When you're reading your Bible, it's not so that you have a better answer for those in the world, so that you get to know the living King, right? so that you see His glory revealed. When you're obeying Him by serving those in our community. It's not just so that you're going to, Jesus, do you see this? Like you, like, make sure you, so that we get more of Him because we're obeying Him. We're, we're, we're reflecting His character and His image to the world around us. As we do, as we obey, as we read it, the goal is more of Him. As we come this morning, it's not so that we get attaboys or so that someone sees us or applauds us. It's so that we get Jesus. Because He is alive and well and on His throne this morning. The whole book of Acts, the sequel to Luke, is that Jesus is in heaven and the work continues because He's alive and we can pray to Him. And, we, and He moves and He equips and He empowers and He's left the Spirit for us. And so then the final thing here. They weren't able to cast out the demons, right? It's a good reminder to us that, that when Jesus empowered them for ministry, it wasn't simply a touch and then they don't need Jesus anymore, and they can go do it because they're somehow like super saints. They are utterly dependent upon Jesus. Completely and totally. Utterly dependent. And they're being reminded here through prayer and through interaction with Jesus, hey, you still need me. You need me. We have to walk with me. Church, this morning, the only power that we have is the power of Jesus. It's not in our winsomeness, it's not in our giftings, it's not in our ability, it's not in our style of worship or church or ministry. 
It's in the fact that Jesus has put to open shame the enemy. Colossians 2, right? In his death at the cross, where it looks like he loses, he wins, and he puts to shame his enemies. And we are empowered by him, by his spirit and by his living word and by him being resurrected and alive today. We need him. It's not just knowledge. It's not just a touch. It is dependent in his power. It's Jesus. And so would we leave this morning knowing that as we have conversations with those around us who are in desperate need of hope, it is Jesus working through us. Right? That we become vessels that he flows through to minister to those around us. Like, we can't wring it out and do it ourselves. But he is glad to use us for His glory and for the good of those around us. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Lord, thank You that the disciples weren't perfect. Lord, that we see them bumbling and and struggling and trying to figure it out, getting it right and getting it wrong. Lord, what encouragement to us that even as we know You, there will be times where we we wrestle with the wrong things, where we desire the wrong things, where we take more credit than we should. God, this morning, would we become a dependent people? God, would we believe that You are alive? And because of that, there is joy and power and hope and peace. And Lord, that You have chosen to use us as part of the plan for your kingdom to go forth, to bring hope and restoration, to see the curse reverse. God, thank you for that. God, for those this morning that might believe that they're still like the demon-possessed boy, that they're still away from you, they don't know you, they haven't seen your power impact. God, would you call them salvation? God, would you break the stronghold of sin in their life, or would they repent and turn to you? finding that Your kindness will meet them to draw them to repentance, that Your grace far outruns their sin. Father, if we have pride in our ministry, God, would You squash that? God, if, if we do things for the glory of man rather than the glory of You, God, would You convict us? Would You reveal it? And God, would we believe that ministry isn't everything that You are? And as we come to You on Sunday mornings, or in the Word, or in gospel communities, that the point would be Jesus more of you. Please. In Jesus' name. Amen.